You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Frost Nixon, which came out in 2008 and was directed by Ron Howard. It stars Michael Sheen, Frank Langella, Kevin Bacon, Sam Rockwell, Rebecca Hall, Matthew McFadden, Toby Jones, and Oliver Platt. The genre would be historical drama. Good evening. I shall resign the presidency at noon tomorrow. This is an historic day, the only time a president has ever resigned from office. Nixon knew about the Watergate cover-up. The man who has committed the greatest felony in American history will never stand trial. I've had an idea for an interview, Richard Nixon. You're a talk show host. I spent yesterday watching you interview the Bee Gees. When they terrific. <laughs> Why would I want to talk to David Frost? I got half a million dollars. Really? Why didn't you burn the tapes? I didn't want to take any questions on Watergate. Shut it down. I will ruin you if it takes the rest of my life. What have I done? If in this interview, Nixon exonerates himself, or that would be the worst crime of all. Three, two, cue David. Are you really saying the president can do something illegal? I'm saying that when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. I'm sorry. There are several points in this story, which is essentially about the conducting of an extended interview of a politician for syndicated television, where I kept realizing myself that it is way more entertaining than it has any right to be. In the wrong hands, this type of behind-the-scenes broadcasting journalism story could come off as boring and or ponderous. In essence, like The Post. Now, that movie, which came out a few years ago, had a highly impressive pedigree and cast, but no real straightforward narrative hook. Whereas previous episode, All the President's Men, Stone Cold Classic, treading on some of the same narrative territory, well, that movie set the standards for journalistic docudramas for decades to come. And yet Nixon is actually not a real character in that movie, just more of a looming presence. All the President's Men worked, and still works, so well because even with a stellar cast and pedigree of its own, it achieved its difficult objective of keeping the main task at hand, keeping it ground level and relatable, and rarely stopping to bask in the, quote, importance of its subject matter, which the Post, that movie, was too often guilty of. Uh, hold it. Nothing to do with the others. Hold it. We're about to accuse Haldeman, who only happens to be the second most important man in this country, of conducting a criminal conspiracy from inside the White House. It would be nice if we were right. You double-checked your sources. Jesus! Right. Bernstein, are you sure on this story? Absolutely. Woodward? I'm sure. I'm not. One of the great things about Frost-Nixon is that it kind of splits the difference between those two other films in a way that's both highly entertaining and respectful of the subject matter. Because under the strange pairing of all-American populist director Ron Howard, who gave us Apollo 13, A Beautiful Mind, and acid-tongued Brit writer Peter Morgan, who created TV's The Crown, well, they've combined their seemingly antithetical talents to deliver a witty journalistic docudrama in the form of a sports drama. Pretty much a boxing tale akin to a Rocky sequel. And with Richard Tricky Dick Nixon as this story's version of Ivan Drago or Clubber Lang. Okay, that's, 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 uh, until March. 
I look forward to it. Well, thank you, Mr. President. So do I. You know, it's a funny thing that I've never been uh, challenged to a duel before. I guess that's what this is. Yeah, well, not really. Of course it is. And I like that. No holds barred, eh? No holds barred. Is it any wonder that this was Ron Howard's follow-up to Cinderella Man? He likely had boxing on the brain, and he found perfect material to fit into that mold, which was Peter Morgan's own 2006 award-winning stage play, Frost Nixon. The play itself was a highly fictionalized retelling of the vaunted series of TV interviews filmed and broadcast in the spring of 1977 between journeyman broadcaster David Frost and former President Nixon. And not only did Morgan adapt his own play for the big screen, but he was also able to bring over its two main stars, both of whom, gratefully, were not actually strangers to the big screen, with Michael Sheen, all droll and too smooth charm, playing David Frost. I'd be happy if I had some kind of vision that you had for this Excuse me, Mr. Frost, uh, I'd heard you were going to be here. Would you mind? But I don't. I just hear a man doing it because it would create headlines or give him a place at the top table. And that is what makes me nervous. And you do nervous so beautifully, John. Hello, good evening, and welcome. Uh, <laughs> I don't actually say that. And Frank Langella, filling the giant hangdog bluster and slipperiness of Nixon the Man. Yeah, pleasant evening last night. Uh, yes, thank you. Did you do any fornicating? David, we're starting with camera two. Of course, it should go without saying just how much each star completely nails the performances of such seemingly mismatched opponents, especially Langella, who deservedly received an Oscar nomination for his performance, as the film was also nominated for Best Picture and Screenplay that year as well. And no, Langella does not really look at all like Nixon, not by any stretch, but he embodies his spirit, a career politician who always acted the politician, but never really liked himself enough to be able to pull that off successfully the entire time. I brought myself down. I gave them a sword, and they stuck it in, and they twisted it with relish. I guess if I'd been in their place, I'd have done the same thing. Watching him go toe-to-toe over four rounds with a slickster-like Frost drives the story forward, and it never disappoints. With Sheen's equally image-obsessed sort of Rocky as our main protagonist, we get all of the narrative beats that you would expect from that kind of story. One, the scrambling and prep to get this match, or sorry, interview off the ground. Two, watching his character get blindsided during that punishing first round. Three, The pep talks from his trainers and love interest, nicely played by Rebecca Hall, who takes on what seems to be on paper a very standard girlfriend role and bringing more wit to her character. Four, at least one off-site, away from the conflict, interaction just between the two opponents, which is both sufficiently awkward and critical to the story. Five, the training montage. Well, more like a late story research montage, but it has the desired effect. And six, the final round, with that rewarding knockout blow for Rocky, oh sorry, Frost, that did not even seem possible in the beginning. You see, according to the researchers on Frost's team, this was always supposed to be much more than a simple interview. Uh, well, what is it that you, uh, that you want to achieve? I'd like to give Richard Nixon the trial he never had. Of course, we'll be asking difficult questions. Difficult questions. The man lost 21,000 Americans. 
and a million Indo-Chinese during his administration. He only escaped jail because of Ford's pardon. Yes, but equally going after him in some knee-jerk way. You know, assuming he's a, he's a terrible guy, wouldn't that only create more sympathy for him than anything else? You know, um, right now I submit it's impossible to feel anything close to sympathy for Richard Nixon. He devalued the presidency and he left the country that elected him in trauma. The American people need a conviction, pure and simple. The integrity of our political system of democracy as an idea entirely depends on it. And we learn more about that angle from the rest of Frost's team, which is portrayed by a trio of fun and engaging supporting actors, Oliver Platt, Matthew McFadden, and Sam Rockwell. Rockwell's wonkish crusader, James Reston, in essence becomes the conscience for both Frost and the story overall. And each of these actors brings a wit and urgency to these roles, as they are always challenging Frost, often having to remind him of the stakes of these interviews. I, th- I thought today was a huge improvement. Are you nuts? Let me tell you how bad things were today. After the taping finished, I overheard two members of the crew say they never voted for him when they had the chance. But if he ran for office again today, he'd get their support. You're making him look presidential, for Christ's sake. And throw in the irreplaceable Kevin Bacon as Nixon's loyal ex-military chief of staff, Jack Brennan, and you truly have a murderous row of supporting talent, which elevates this material even further. The terms of the contract clearly stipulate that Watergate take up no more than 25% of the time. Yes, but nowhere does it say that for the rest of the 75%, he gets to drone on and sound presidential. Drone on? Jesus Christ. Where's your respect? Do you remember who you're talking about here? You know as well as I do that 60% of what he did in office was, was right, and 30% may have been wrong, but he thought it was right at the time. Yes, but that still leaves 10% where he was doing the wrong thing and knew it. You goddamn media people. You are so smug. This brings us to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Music actually does not play a particularly critical part in this movie, which makes sense as it's a very talky movie. There is a score throughout, which seems there to just kind of complement the drama of the proceedings. The score is composed by my personal favorite, Hans Zimmer. And while I certainly would not refer to it as one of his best, it does the job. Mostly orchestral with piano, I especially enjoyed it during a couple of key montages, including the aforementioned training montage sequence. But if there is one significant period-specific needle drop which leaves an impression, well, it occurs towards the end, just briefly, too. We hear maybe about 40 seconds from the song, and it's during a triumph montage as we see the immediate aftermath of that final triumphant taping. Triumphant for Frost, of course. He has recaptured the limelight and folks surround him to congratulate him at some type of unspecified event. The song is from the late great pop singer Donna Summer, and it remains one of the catchiest dance songs from that era. Also produced by the legendary Giorgio Moroder. Summer and Moroder were just disco legends, and never more so than during their collaboration for the 1977 hit single, I Feel Love.
The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Okay, this is kind of a small quibble here, but early on, the great character actor Toby Jones plays the real-life talent agent for Nixon, Swifty Lazar who at the time was negotiating lucrative deals for his client with regards to his published memoir and, of course, this independently filmed interview with David Frost. Jones has a couple of really fun scenes early on during the negotiating process. And then, well, nothing. We don't really see his character for the remaining 75% of the movie. And the thing is, besides Kevin Bacon's Brennan character, we really don't get to see much of anything from the folks who were working on Nixon's side throughout the interview process. I mean, hey, you have to make narrative choices sometimes. And in all likelihood, Lazar not having much impact on the actual interviews as they were being filmed, well, that likely hewed closer to reality. It's just that this was set up as a genuinely entertaining side character early on, with a strong actor portraying him, so... Yeah, I would have liked maybe just a bit more Toby Jones. Two million dollars, uh, 2.3 to be precise. It's what I got for your memoirs. Oh, thank you. Uh, it might be a little short of what I wanted, but let me assure you, it's a whole lot more than they wanted. And this brings us to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Of course, this would have to be the signature scene, which many still remember about this movie 15 years later. And this scene was also a centerpiece of the original stage play. And in all likelihood, this really didn't happen, even though it tracks pretty well with Nixon's behavior at the time. I referred to this previously as an all-important trope for this type of story, the off-site interaction between our two key players, which is going to shift the story a bit, mainly providing a new sense of urgency and motivation for the protagonist. And this occurs roughly about two-thirds into the movie, which is not long after that third recording. It's at this point that Frost himself feels pretty demoralized, just regarding how well these interviews have gone, which for him is not well. I'm in this for everything I've got, and there's still no guarantee it'll ever see the light of day. What have I done? What was I thinking? Why didn't anyone stop me? They should have physically stopped me. And Caroline has gone to get him dinner as he's just alone in that hotel room. We see him sitting there, hair back, unkempt, looking pretty defeated. This is definitely his lowest point in the story. And then guess who calls? I'll have, um, a cheeseburger. Mmm, that sounds good. I used to love cheeseburgers. I hope I'm not disturbing. No. It's a Friday night. You probably got somebody there whom you're, uh, entertaining. No. Well, then what are you doing? A handsome young fellow. An eligible young bachelor alone on a Friday night. If you must know, I'm uh, uh, preparing for our final session. The all-important final session? Yes. Watergate. Because I guess the way you handle Watergate is going to determine whether these interviews are a success or a failure. This goes on for about six minutes, and it's actually Langella's Nixon who does most of the talking. He's trying to relate to Frost, talk about what they have in common regarding their backgrounds, how they have both been continuously cast aside by the, quote, establishment. Cambridge. Did the snobs there look down on you, too? (laughs) Of course they did. That's our tragedy, isn't it, Mr. Frost? No matter how high we get. They still look down at us. 
I really don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. Now, come on. No matter how many awards or column inches are written about you or how high the elected office is for me, it's still not enough. We still feel like the little man. But as it continues, Nixon takes on an angrier, more defiant tone. Langella is just going for it. All the while, Sheen's silent reactions shift from startled towards more inquisitive. He's getting new insight into his so-called opponent. Now, no doubt, this sequence is extremely stagey. But damn if it isn't also stirring. If we're honest for a minute, if we reflect privately just for a moment, if we allow ourselves a glimpse into that shadowy place we call our soul, isn't that why we're here now? The two of us looking for a way back. And it's a great acting showcase for both actors. It, of course, culminates with Nixon uttering a certain 12-letter profanity in the most entertaining way possible. But the end result ends up being just the shot in the arm that Frost needed before that final taping focusing on Watergate. We're not going to let that happen, either of us. We're going to show those bombs. We're going to make them choke on our continued success, our continued headlines, our continued awards and power and glory. We are going to make those motherfuckers choke. Am I right? You are. Except only one of us can win. The final category would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. At the end of the day, the success of this film comes down to the same collaboration which was highlighted in previous episode, Rush, which would be their next collaboration. Thanks to Ron Howard, the pacing is generally brisk and the visual straightforward, while Morgan brings plenty of humor to the story, along with an obvious three-act structure which also serves it well. This story's stage play roots are clearly obvious throughout, but seeing it play out cinematically brings the added benefit of those awkward close-ups. For combining their distinct talents from across the pond to create one of the better docudramas of recent years, Ron Howard and Peter Morgan are your co-MVPs. Do you seriously expect us to believe that you had no knowledge of that? None. I believe the money was for humanitarian purposes, to help disadvantaged people with their defenses. Well, it was being delivered on the tops of phone booths with aliases and at airports by people with gloves on. That's not normally the way lawyers' fees are delivered. Look, I have made statements to this effect before. All that was Haldeman and Ehrlichman's business. I knew nothing. Okay, fine. Fine. You made a conclusion there. I stated my view. Now let's move on. Let's get no, on with the rest on. of it. No, hold on. No, I don't no, want to talk. Hold on. If Haldeman and Ehrlichman were the ones really responsible, when you subsequently found out about it, why didn't you call the police and have them arrested? Isn't that just a cover-up of another kind? Well, my rating for Frost Nixon would be five stars out of five. Fifteen years after it was released to strong reviews, middling box office, and some well-deserved awards attention, Frost Nixon remains a surprisingly rousing and satisfying telling of a modern David vs. Goliath story. And if you're looking to watch Frost Nixon, it's available to buy or rent on all major online platforms. And that ends another No Holds Barred review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.